Eric, you've heard a lot about chip shortages uh, that have been going on in the past, right? I have. That's mostly due to logistics around COVID and, you know, things like crypto being so profitable that, that there's crazy demand for it and for certain chips. And they're like kind of really complicated to make. Do you remember how there used to be such a high demand for chips that you couldn't even make cars because you didn't you didn't have this stuff? Yeah, I heard, I heard they were, like, finishing the cars and then just dumping them on a lot, waiting for chips to, like, finish making them. I mean, it, it's not really something that I expect um, cars to need. Like, I, I figured, you know, wheels or something would be more important than chips, but apparently pretty important. I mean, can't we just grow more potatoes? <laughs> Nobody <laughs> thought of it. Oh, I had to make at least one chip joke. So while we won't be talking about the logistics part of the shortage, I want to tell you about why it's so difficult to make these things. Mm-hmm. What do you know about this already? The amount of transistors in like a dot blows my mind. It will continue to blow your mind in this one. All right. So first of all, let's start by talking about silicon and why these semiconductor things, whatever they might be, are important for making chips. I mean, you can't have chips without salt, so... True. And you can't have salt without silicon? Is that? That's where I was going with it. I I don't know. Yeah, let's go with that. Semiconductors are, as you might imagine, the middle ground between a metallic conductor and this, which is the stuff that carries electricity around and insulators. Also, you know, it could be the name for someone who's like a part time train driver. I knew one of those, actually. Really? Yeah. Would you call him a a semiconductor, him or her? Well, he wasn't on a train when I knew him, so uh, yeah, he was, in fact, a semiconductor. So what that means is if you stuck a little bit of metal, like copper, on top of some silicon, just just placed it on there, electricity would want to pass through that copper rather than the other stuff. Mm -hmm. And now you have something that you can actually very easily make a circuit on. It reminds me of a breadboard. In a way, there's a lot more physics at play like i'm just scratching the very surface of this whole thing but i don't want to bother you with too much of the detail just because it's it is a lot like uh, entire courses are based around this stuff so i'm just going to leave it at that main takeaway we use silicon because it's easy to make circuits on some wafer of this stuff compared to having the wires free floating or whatever oh that'd be a lot of wires Which reminds me of the little bit you got into about the different processors that they use in satellites and how they're physically larger. Yeah, they in satellites, they have to use older versions like the, you know, we're on the nanometers scale, although I'll talk about that a little later. Um, I think they use the micrometer scale just because it's harder for things like cosmic rays to cause faults in it. There's a lot more cosmic rays in space than Earth, I assume. There are, and much more energetic ones, which I believe is the problem. You might ask the question, what exactly do you have to put on the silicon that lets you browse the web or do whatever it is you want on your computer? Um, I'm guessing uh, current and voltage? That is also very important, but you've, you've also probably heard of this. It's mostly transistors, I would imagine. Obviously, you need power, but you know, if you don't have the transistors, the idea is you can't really do anything. So I, would, I don't want to get into too many specifics of this, but since it's so boring. But the main idea here is if you supply some input signal and have these transistors put in a very specific pattern, you can do math. Automatic math. Who'd have thunk? It's a calculator, but it's so much more complicated. You can make the whole car just to invent the wheel. 
So if you've ever done programming before, you'd know that all you're doing is a bunch of math in a very specific way. And with a lot of work, you can get things like word processors, web browsers, and you know, everything else you use. With a lot of effort, I can get it to compile. That doesn't mean it's right. So in the end, what we want to do is put a whole bunch of these transistors on our silicon in a very specific pattern to allow our computer to do math really well. And eventually, you get things like YouTube videos in the end. Crazy journey from a giant room as a supercomputer, like the original supercomputer, just a giant full-size room with switches to like, um, that's a discount phone from the discount phone shop. I'm going to go watch internet videos on it. Yeah. Like, imagine if you programmed one of those... TI calculators and you were able to watch YouTube on that. You can play Doom on it. Oh, you can? Yeah. Oh, well, that makes sense, yeah. Now let's talk a bit about how we make that happen. Obviously, making these transistors can't be done by hand, and a lot of it is done by using light, like a laser, to etch a pattern onto some, some silicon. This is ultraviolet light, so it's going to be like ionizing radiation piercing through a bit of silicon and then, you know, making something. Mm -hmm. But to help you visualize it, here's a picture to make it easier to understand. Supplemental content's the best part. And you can find the supplemental content on our Twitter, so be sure to follow us at More Abstract. So they mask the shape that they want, mm -hmm. focus it through a lens, and then make a tiny version. Yeah. So yeah, you have lasers with lenses etching very small masks onto some part of silicon. And through this whole process, some material is put on the silicon, it's cleaned, and you know, a whole bunch of stuff. And eventually you get these transistors in these very specific patterns that you've masked. And finally, they're ready to do actual math. Actual math. Not that fake math stuff. No imaginary numbers here. Yeah, get that out of here. And over the years, we've gotten pretty good at making these processors smaller uh, so you can fit more math into smaller and smaller spaces to the point where we now have transistors that are on the order of nanometers apart from each other. Pentium 2, now with double the math. So to give a bit of context, the supposed radius of a silicon atom, a single silicon atom, is 0.2 nanometers. And if we're getting onto the nanometer scale, like the single nanometer scale between transistors, there's actually not very much silicon between each of these transistors, which will be a problem later. That sounds like a problem now. Like, there is almost no room for error. So what happens if something shakes the wafer just a teeny, teeny little bit, and, like, that trace doesn't line up within nanometers of where it needs to? You know what? That is the next paragraph. Oh, perfect timing. So uh, going on from this, I'm going to be mostly talking about Intel and their processors and what they do just because yeah, they got the information and that's where I got it from. So you know when, you, when they come out with a new CPU and in the marketing they say, we're using the 10 nanometer process node for this one. And, the, and you're like, wow, 10 nanometers, that's pretty small. That's like less than 14 nanometers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, better, wait, better. <laughs> well, it turns out the names for these processes actually doesn't have anything to do with the size of the chips themselves or the, si the distance between the transistors. 
it's just marketing and it's basically saying hey we made a better technique of uh, getting these chips out oh that lets some of the air out of my balloon a little bit so when, when, when they say 10 nanometer that doesn't mean there's 50 silicon atoms between each transistor it just means that it's a new process it's the, it's better than 14 nanometer I think back in the early days they didn't used to use this distance scale but I, I, I guess they ran out of people's names or something uh, <laughs> for calling each process. They were like, just put a number, a distance in there. There have been a lot of weirdly named lakes out there. <laughs> yeah, Gaby Lake, Rocket Lake, Coffee Lake. Coffee Lake. I mean, I love coffee, but like, I don't want a whole lake of it. They used to name, I, I think, like Haswell and Broadwell or something like that. They used to name themselves after physicists or something. I guess yeah. they, for some reason they ran out of physicists. I mean, hey, they could name it after me and I'd, I'd be like yeah you know I, i'll let intel name a cpu after me i'm all for it why not every year there's a new nobel prize winner why don't we use their names yeah it's so simple there's a new one every year there's infinite names yeah it, intel couldn't keep up really so i, I want to say that they are getting closer and closer together these uh going from 14 nanometer to 10 nanometer processes it, do, it doesn't mean that the transistors are exactly 10 nanometers apart, but they, they are still getting smaller. And that's where the problem comes in. To make faster chips at this point, we've mostly been making them smaller. There's other possibilities like designing these things to have the third dimension in mind to add more transistors, but the main way that we make our chips faster is just by making it smaller. That makes sense. I mean, it's physically less distance to travel. Mm -hmm. you, you could stick more math into a smaller space and you could just make the space, you know, add more of these chips, more math, in, in more math density. Math density. I like it. That's the technical term. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem because if circuits are too close to each other, then quantum mechanics starts to come into play. Oh, you're using that quantum word. It's about mm -hmm. to be a clickbait article. Normally because of the silicon, these wires are separated from each other but if they get too close to each other, then an electron can move from one part of the circuit on one wire and decide to just jump to the next closest one. And the electron keeps moving on its way. And yeah, that just happens. And it, it happens now in the five nanometer nodes, mm -hmm. which is uh, what we're, the technology we're at in present day. So what happens when the electron jumps to a, a different track? It just means that the current that would be present in the neighboring wire will be a little higher than it should be. How would that change the, the math bot? So the math, I believe, is done through pulses of electricity. So it's like a pulse with a whole bunch of electrons going down into this circuit, and then it, it stops. And then the next pulse happens, and it goes on, and so forth and so forth. Right, to get, to get your binary. If a single electron passes through and joins a group, it doesn't really do much. But if they're close enough, then it's a very likely probability that multiple electrons could jump and essentially create their own pulse. So almost like rewiring one specific part of that, that transistor circuit. Yeah, like um, the, the computer might be expecting three times three and it gets four times three by mistake. And that's the problem that we face right now. We can get higher densities, but we need to get creative with our um, 
processor designs um, to really make them faster like we like was expected through Moore's law if one we'll say if two transistors are arcing I guess with lowering the CPU's voltage or current stop that I mean turning it off yes nothing's gonna cross but I mean operating it slightly lower would that reduce the risk of um, electrons jumping over to the other track so voltage in a circuit it's basically how hard the electron is being pushed through the circuit mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that the the number of electrons change necessarily so undervolting i don't believe would decrease the numbers of electrons passing through it would just decrease the the amount of force that they're passing through how hard they're pushing yeah although maybe the, i don't know I'm not a CPU architect it's or anything. Just, it's weird to think of like jumping through a semiconductor just because it's that close. A strange thing for me to think. I know they're extremely close together, but it is just passing through a, a, a solid object. Yeah, it's a good amount of material that it's passing through. You know, it's so small that the tiniest imperfections can make an entire chip useless or defective. So like you were saying that if someone were to nudge the machine, well, that would throw the lasers out of line. It would throw the silicon out of line. And, you know, all these chips that are on there, you know, they'd probably be binned or at least a lot of them would be binned. If you have a speck of dust on this wafer that's getting the laser that's hitting this thing, it's probably going to be binned. The whole thing or like where the dust is? Likely just that chip. Okay. Unless you're really unlikely and it bridges two chips. Oh, the, the, it's, a, it's a quantum speck of dust. It can be anywhere. <laughs> Schrodinger's dust. And as we get sm smaller and smaller sizes of these chips, it ends up being that the binning rate, the amount of defective chips there are, increases. In fact, the binning rate for Intel can be as high as 30% at times. So when Intel decides to, they, that they want to come out with a chip, where they're, they're going to tell whether it becomes an i9 or an, an i3, or an i they take the best performing ones which got lucky and put them into an i9 then whatever still works but is not as good they just put it into an i3 so that you know they're not losing money or something makes sense and that's kind of why making chips is so difficult that's why you don't see mom and pop shops of cpu are <laughs> coming out oh my out. god oh good luck i I'm surprised that wasn't a Futurama joke. It, it might be a Futurama joke, and I just don't know it. I wouldn't doubt it. I get my processors from, you know, Earl, on, just down the corner store. From a mom's robotic shop. Oh, no, oh no, they're huge. That doesn't, that doesn't work. Never mind. Yeah. This stuff's hard to do. You need a lot of money. You need a lot of experience and precision. And you so... need zero dust. Absolutely zero dust. And it's not going to get any easier, because we're going to keep getting smaller and smaller. If you were hoping chips would be less expensive in the future, eh, I'm not so sure. Time to become the mom and pop shop and make the cheaper chips. <laughs> yeah, I was so tired of the 3090 being so expensive. I made my own 3090. That's Intel right now with their Arc GPUs. Yeah. So that's a bit about why making chips is difficult and you know why it'll only get harder. Do you have any closing thoughts or comments? I wonder. I know AMD is going with the chiplet design 
if overall the, the actual die got larger, if they could make chiplets that are slightly larger and easier to process, if that could be a viable solution. I'm not sure, but it sounds promising from what I hear about it. Don't know too much about it myself. I just remember hearing about it and thinking, oh, that's a cool idea and never touching it again. Well, if you like this episode, please consider subscribing. We have a Twitter with supplementary content, so be sure to follow us at More Abstract. And you can find more episodes wherever you get podcasts. Mm-hmm.